Good morning, good morning, good morning. How are you, my friend? How are you, my friend? Welcome. This is the Breakfast with Champions podcast, one of the most unique, amazing, and powerful podcasts you'll ever come across in your entire life. Listen, we bring you motivation, education, and inspiration, and ultimately give you an opportunity to get a seat at the table, to hang out with some of those that are doing the things you know you can do, that have reached some of those levels you know you can reach. What makes this podcast so unique and incredible is we have over a hundred different thought leaders that are constantly delivering amazing, over-the-top, powerful, and impactful content in bite-sized nuggets that you can absorb, take action on, and implement in your life. So with that said, make sure you filter through. There's going to be some of these thought leaders, these experts in their industries that you're ultimately gonna connect with. You're gonna totally, totally resonate. It's gonna totally be your vibe. And then there's gonna be other ones that you're gonna be like, eh, you know what? I like them, but I don't know if I love them. And that's what's great about Breakfast with Champions is we have something for everyone. So make sure you sift through, find the ones that you love, and know that they'll be coming back every single week to be able to deliver to you the motivation and education and inspiration that you need. With that said, my name is Glenn Lundy. I am your host. Super excited to connect with you. And let's kick off today's episode of Breakfast with Champions. Ladies and gentlemen, it is with great pleasure that I get to introduce the lady of this next hour, the lady who's going to be taking over and interviewing none other than our very own Mr. Glenn Lundy. That's right, ladies and gentlemen, this is Jude Jernud. You, She was literally uh, on TV in the second largest um, area in the United States, market in the entire area in the United States able to interview people like Oprah, Regis Philbin, and many, many more. Today, she will be bringing to us so much insight into the life of someone that we all have learned to really love and someone who has shown us the power of consistency, dedication, inspiration, education, and ultimately implementation of everything that is shared. Without further ado, it is with great pleasure that I introduce my dear friend, the lady of the hour, one of the best interviewers on Clubhouse, and the voice of the second largest market here in the United States, Miss Jude Jerna. Alexander is so fabulous. Thank you, Alexander. It always, I always feel better when you're in the room and you do the intros. He does on my, my uh, Transformational Thursdays. He's always there. And you forgot to add to that roster of all the people I've interviewed. You forgot to add Alexander. And you were the first person I interviewed on Transformational Thursday. And it was really, I mean, you've made so many transformations. And I so appreciate your, your, your wonderful introductions, Alexander. And Sarah, I want to say thank you to you for making this happen today. Sarah and I were chatting last night, and here we are. I'm not sure if Glenn is in the house yet. Are you here, Glenn? Okay. Glenn had said that he might be a couple of minutes late. So maybe, Alexander, you and I can, as they say in the biz, stretch and banter a moment. So Yes, I love that. You know what? I, I, can I actually flip the script a little bit and for the next sure. couple minutes ask you a couple questions? Okay. Sure. sure so we ahead. heard, because I, I, I love the story, right? You were in PR. Regis Philbin's um, producer, I believe, came to you, said, you need to be on TV. You were on TV. Okay, cool. You get there. You make this huge mountain you climb it, it's a reality, you're at the peak of your career. What ultimately was that experience like of being on TV and what kind of life did it afford you? Not necessarily in, the, in regards of you know, income and luxury and whatnot, but getting to be around the movers and shakers of this world. Well, you know, Alexander, I, you and I have had to have have interviewed and talked before. You haven't interviewed me, so this is kind of fun, so thank you. You know, it's interesting, and, and the lesson here, everybody who's listening and, and the, everyone on stage and, and our listeners, is that sometimes we have this burning, on-fire desire to do something. We just know we can. 
but other times people see it in us. And, and my vision, I had taken acting when I first got out here. I took some acting classes. I got, did some commercials. I got the first play I read for. But acting didn't do it for me. It wasn't driving me. But when, when Regis, the executive producer, got right in my face and said, you are missing the boat. You should be in front of the cameras, not your clients. It just was like this wake-up call. And so I asked her for lunch, and we did. And then she gave me an audition. And she said, you're right for television. Regis has a host, but you are right for TV. And, and I didn't want to leave L.A. Many people say, well, well you're, you can't start a television career in the number two market in the country. But I thought, well, my gosh, I'm already here. Why do I want to move? And so I was very fortunate that I was able to do that. And what it did for me, and I think if we actually step back, Alexander, my, my mother had a, she bought her first restaurant when I was 12, and I started waiting on tables. So I was really around a lot of people who were resorters who came in from other parts of the country and parts of the world. So my eyes kind of opened up and, and I was able to have this great rapport with them. And, and today we would call it an, ex, an experience, but back then we didn't know that word to use in that context. And so I was around a lot of high profile people for that time. And then when I got on television, it just seemed so natural to me to be having conversations. Now, flash forward. What I learned from interviewing icons and being around icons like Larry King and Regis and, and, and I met Barbara Walters and, and just different people along the way, that became the basis of the Jernet Company's foundation for helping executives in their transformational leadership. CFO was made CEO. I get to work with them for their presentation skills, how to talk to the media, how to talk to analysts, how to dress. So all of that work, I didn't realize it at the time, but I would be interviewing people and they wouldn't do a great job in their interview. And I thought someday, someday, I'm gonna be in a position to help these people do really stellar interviews so they get asked back. And and then I, so I added the, the media coaching to it. So it really was by not intention, by the way, you might say it was the bonus of it, but it really became the basis of the work that I do today. And so I've always been so very grateful for that opportunity. And I guess my lesson, if I have one for everybody, and you probably have already gleaned it from this conversation, is sometimes when that opportunity comes to you, just open that door and walk through it. I love the sound of that. Well, I think I recognize that voice. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, dude. How are you? I'm doing great, Glenn. How are you? I'm so good. I'm, am I interrupting, Alexander? Did you want to, were you, were you going to continue? Alexander was, we were bantering, as they say in the biz, until you got here and he asked a good question. And so there we are. Unless you have something else, Alexander, I just want to say thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Good question. <clears throat> My pleasure. Let's go. I'm excited about this segment. All yours, Jude. Thank you. Okay, so here's the, here's the scene. <clears throat> Glenn and I don't know each other. We are just getting on a plane out of JFK, New York, and we've exchanged pleasantries. We're on our way from New York, <clears throat> excuse me, to Los Angeles, and Glenn, <clears throat> excuse me, if I can get this out, um, and this happens on television too, by the way, sometimes. That's why they have those sips of water, and that's really what's in the cups, by the way, for most of us, anyway. Um, so... <laughs> So, so Glenn has, we've exchanged some pleasantries. He spoke first, the masculine energy. I'm sitting in the window seat. There's no middle seat. And normally I like to get in that window seat and nest and write with my iPad or my, or my laptop. But today Glenn looks interesting and he's rather open and, and, and somewhat talkative. I can pick up on that. Seems fun. So after we've exchanged these pleasantries, and just like, by the way, as a PS here, just like theater, actors will sometimes break what they call the fourth wall and start talking to the audience. I'm going to be on this plane with Glenn. We're together, but sometimes I will break the, the fourth wall and talk to all of us here. So let's listen as Glenn and Judy make their way jetting across the country from New York to Los Angeles. It's a long flight. So as I said, Glenn started the conversation and then I turned to him and say, so Glenn, tell me about your life in Lexington, Kentucky. Well, Jude, my life in Lexington, Kentucky is a fascinating one. <laughs> I have uh, my beautiful wife. Uh, we've been married just over 10 years now, just celebrated our 10 year anniversary. And uh, I have eight children, seven of whom live with me in our house. Uh, we've got uh, 10 acres of land and a, and a two acre pond. And, and so we really like our space. And, you know, to be honest with you, Jude, I, 
love Lexington, Kentucky. I was not raised here, um, but I feel like it was the place that I was supposed to be, right? Like Kentucky is home to me. It's a, a little hidden utopia. It's got all four seasons, great weather, and uh, a low cost of living and high wages <laughs> and a lot of tradition, which I really respect. I grew up on the West Coast and um, typically on the West Coast, whenever I meet somebody, I'd say, where are you from? And they'd say, oh, I'm from wherever. It's normally somewhere else. Where here in Kentucky, if you ask somebody where they're from, they're going to tell you the county, which is usually a few miles of where you're standing. And they're going to tell you that their dad was born there and their dad's dad was born there. Um, and so there's a lot of tradition. So life in Kentucky is uh, a, a really blessed one filled with, with new experiences and a place that I like to call home. Sounds it sounds very tranquil and lovely. And but I have to go back to what you said. Eight children. Eight. Yes. Can you tell us our ages, please? <laughs> uh, yes, I have a twenty. From what range? I have a twenty-two-year-old. Now she lives in Arizona. Um, she was a daughter that I had when I was twenty years old with an ex-girlfriend, and then I have seven with my wife that live in the house with me. And in my house, I have an 11-year-old, a 9-year-old, a 7-year-old, a 6-year-old, a 4-year-old, a 2-year-old, and an 8-month-old. <laughs> wow. Now, now, I have to ask, I know you know where, what makes these babies happen. I know that. But was this, what was the impetus to have such a large family, especially in today's times? A lot of people don't have big families anymore. You know, we never really uh, planned on having so many children. Uh, my wife was definitely born to be a mother. Uh, she has been, uh, listen to this, Jude. Here's a crazy stat for you. So my wife has been pregnant or nursing all but five months of the last 12 years. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> yes, yes. And, Sounds like uh, Ethel Kennedy, remember? I, one day I yes. how, how many years she's been pregnant. <laughs> it's oh crazy. My gosh. Oh my um, gosh. But it's what she was born for, and uh, God has gifted us with, with these children, and we have the, um, the capacity, you know, we have the capacity for them and the resources to be able to, to pour into them. And so we just, we just have allowed... Um, we, 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 we don't feel comfortable, I guess it's kind of a little awkward conversation because you and I are brand new knowing each other, but we're not comfortable putting things in place that could maybe keep us from receiving the blessings that our children have been. And so we're at the point now where we're both looking at each other like, don't touch me and I won't touch you because we have a lot on our plate. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, you know, okay, so so we, we come over to your house. What What's a day like in the Glenn Lundy household with eight children, oh, you and your wife? What's, and I know you can't say the word typical. That'd be too general. But, but what is a day like? Yeah. Meanwhile so we, at the Lundy's. Meanwhile at the Lundy's. That's right. Um we have actually been very intentional about creating uh, a space and creating Team Lundy. Those are, the, those are the two things that are really important to us, uh, space to be together and, and really build a team. And so I get up at, at 3 o'clock in the morning, and I, I take care of my morning 5, right, which is space for me, and then while the kids are all asleep. And then I run off to my studio, and I do this show called Hashtag Rise and Grind, and I launched this room called Breakfast with Champions on Clubhouse that has been amazing. And so I'll do that. And then I go back home and I get back home about 7 a.m. And that's when the house starts to stir. And I create some space for my wife so that she can shower and brush her teeth and maybe use the bathroom without a child on her lap. And <laughs> uh, I create that space. And it's very important to me to, to spend some time in the mornings with my, with my kids. And so I'll spend some time with them. And then from there, my wife will kind of kick in. She homeschools all the children. So she'll homeschool them while I'm at the office and working and so on and so forth. And then I make it. We're also very intentional about having dinner together. So throughout the day, it's, it's homeschooling. And the kids get uh, a lot of space to run around outside. They've got four-wheelers and dirt bikes and trees that they climb and, and things like that. Uh, during the day and then at night we come back together as a family we have dinner 
and we might uh, share a, a kid's movie or something like that. And June, my favorite part of the day is we finish every single day. We fin if I'm in town because I do travel a little bit, but we spend uh, every every night we we get together in a circle and everybody shares one thing that they were grateful for from that day. And then each kid has a designated day where they will sit in the middle of the room and each of the other family members will tell that kid one thing that they love about them. And so we're really trying to create a, a, a team and a house filled with love and respect for one another. Um, and at the same time, make sure that we create space where they can grow as individuals as well. It's a delicate balance. And it sounds like they get a lot of time with your wife with homeschooling. Oh my goodness. I mean, we have to meet this lady. Uh, I don't know her name, but Mrs. Lundy, we have to, we have to meet her. Uh, You know, I think Glenn, that, you know, I don't have children. And so that's why I work with, with children who are abused. One of the reasons, but I think that those of you, excuse me, a lot of you on this, on this app who, who have children, I think it's probably the most important role that anyone has in life. And I'd like to talk to you about your early life, Glenn. How, how did that start? How did life start out for you? How did life start out for me? Life start out for you. Uh-huh. Life. Yeah. Your early so, life. Yeah. So uh, my, my, my dad was in the uh, military. And so I was born in Fort Hood, Texas. And uh, my sister, my older sister, she was born in Germany, and so we, we hopped around quite a bit in the in the very early years. And Jude, my dad was my dad was military through and through, and was a very 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 hard man and a very disciplined man. Um, my mom was not allowed to have a job. She was not allowed to have friends that were outside of their. Uh, you know, his friends were her friends, and that's kind of how that worked. And in our house, it was very, I mean, I had to ask to get a drink of water. I had to ask to use the restroom. I had to ask to take a shower. Um, You know, we had to ask for everything. He was the authority in the house. He kept a a belt with a very large buckle sitting on the TV uh, at all times so that we could see it, and it was within reach. And he was not afraid to use it. And so it was. Oh, my gosh. It was really rough uh, in the early in the early stages. And my dad is black. My mom is white. So there was also some um, there wasn't a whole lot of family support back then in the in the in the late 70s and early 80s. It was still kind of a, um, a frowned upon thing. For, for people of different ethnicities to be together in that way. And so it was just kind of our little our little home and, and dad ruled the roost is, is, is how it went for a little while. Um, and then June, when I was 11, my mom, she finally got the, she finally gathered up enough strength and courage to leave my dad uh, to, to, to divorce my dad. And when they got divorced, it was violent and it was ugly. There were many, many, many crazy scenes that, uh, I wish I never would have saw. Um, but my mom was in a very, she was in a very precarious position for a while during that transition. Uh, but she stuck with it because she knew it was ultimately what was going to be best for, for us, the kids and for, and for her. And so they got divorced, and then here's where it got really crazy, Jude. <laughs> so my mom, who's white, ended up getting married uh, later. She married a guy that's nine years younger than her, and he's a white guy. And my dad ended up marrying a woman that was much younger than him, and she was a black woman. And then my mom moved into Greenlaw Garden Apartments, 2600 East 7th Avenue, apartment number 28, with her new husband. And my dad moved into Greenlaw Garden Apartments, 2600 East 7th Avenue, apartment 30, two doors down, with his new wife. And she had four kids of her own as well. And so I ended up growing up in my formative years, those teenage years, ended up growing up between these two cultures. Uh, mom's house was country music, rock and roll, 
Uh, they hung out at the bowling alley and played poker at night, had poker parties. And dad's house was gospel music and Motown and chitlins and collard greens and a lot of sports, like every stereotype you could think of uh, for the black community and the white community existed in these two houses. And so I grew up kind of in between, um, not knowing exactly where I fit in. Uh, I, I was too, my skin was too dark to be considered white, but it was too light to be considered black. And so it was a really interesting upbringing coming up between those two cultures. You know, Glenn, and I'm and I'm thinking back to what it was like in there. I mean, today we 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 are, you know we 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 see couples together from from different eth ethnic backgrounds, and but at the time, that would have been challenging. And I'm I'm hearing it in your voice, and particularly the kind of discipline. I've heard of mil military fathers before, but this one's a little extreme. I mean, from a from my perspective, hearing it for the for the first time, I did not know this, Glenn. So let's flash forward. I'm going to break break into this fourth wall now. Fourth wall, and I know Glenn from uh, from listening to you prior to on Clubhouse interviews or talking when you're talking on Clubhouse that then you went through kind of a rough patch yourself, uh, and you kind of lost your way, uh, maybe trying to find yourself. So can you talk to us about that period in your life? Yeah, dude, it was just um, it was just tough. You know, I didn't really know where I fit, and so. Uh, what I found is I had a bunch of surface level relationships. I couldn't really, I couldn't form deep, strong um, relationships. And, and I became basically a chameleon, right? So whoever I was around, that's who I became. So if I was around black people, I'd, I'd act as though um, I would try to fit in and be more, be more black. If I was around white people, I was more white. If I was around Hispanics, I'd be Hispanic. If I was around uh, gangsters, I was a gangster. If I was around cowboys, I was a cowboy. Uh, you know, whatever, whatever the environment was, I ultimately adapted um, to that environment. But none of that was, I had no identity of my own. Like, I didn't know. So, so, so would it be safe to was. ask, Glenn, did you just not know who you were? Yeah, I had no idea who I was at all. And so that lack of identity ended up creating uh, a lot of chaos in, in my life. And I ended up kind of migrating towards those that were making poor decisions. And then I, in tune, uh, would also make poor decisions. And so I put my mom through the ringer, man. I put her through the ringer. I, I did that. She, she finally gave up on giving me a curfew when I was 13 years old, because I just wouldn't, I, it didn't matter what time she told me to come home. I would do whatever whatever I wanted. And, uh, I, school was really easy for me. I was always pretty intelligent. And so the school part was easy. And at 13 years old, my mom finally was like, look, I don't care what you do. As long as you get good grades, I don't care. Stay up as late as you want, run the streets, do whatever. Um, but ultimately, I just put her through the ringer. She was always afraid that she was going to get a phone call and I was either dead or in jail or, or whatever. And so I caused a lot of trouble in my teenage years, into my early 20s. And really, it all just stemmed from, well, it stemmed from two things. One, a lack of identity in who I was and just kind of going with the flow and then the second was I also had no moral or integral like high ground. I was a firm Darwinistic uh, survival of the fittest mentality. And if I could get over on you, that was your fault, not mine. There were no long term mm. consequences. Everything was in the moment. Everything was now. If it looked good and mm -hmm. felt good, the answer was yes. And, and that's really how I lived my life from, from late teens into my early 20s. And then desperation came. So talk about that moment when you were just when you were, you just take us to that moment of desperation. Yeah, sure, Jude. Uh, living that Darwinistic lifestyle without any real identity uh, led me to a place where I burned a lot of bridges, and I ended up uh, losing custody of my daughter. Uh, that relationship never never really took off to begin with, and we were somewhat friends for a while. But me going in and out of jail and doing things like that did not make me the best, uh, the best dad in the world. And so her mom ended up taking uh, full custody of her. And when that happened, I moved out of the city of Flagstaff 
And I traveled around. I played professional poker for a little while. Like my boy Nate, poker player. Him and I are going to play someday in Vegas. Uh, I played professional poker for a little while. And obviously, I wasn't great enough to keep that going. Uh, I hopped around and lived throughout Arizona and Las Vegas and then over to California, uh, just burning bridges all along the way. And uh, one day I woke up, Jude, and I was on the beaches of San Diego, California mm. uh, with bad credit and not a penny to my name. And I had burned every bridge. There was nobody that I could call. Uh, my mom would not let me come home and live with them because I had burned that bridge as well. And uh, so, yeah, so I was homeless, uh, homeless, homeless in San Diego, California. And surrounded by wealth and decadence and I couldn't get my hands on 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 any of it and so homelessness quickly led to uh, a depression and when you're homeless you start to you start to lose hope every day starts to feel and look the same Uh, you start to become invisible people won't make eye contact with you nobody says your name Uh, People look around you, above you. And so that feeling of being invisible and hopeless just led me into a really deep depression. Uh, And that depression, the only solution that I could come up with was that if I were to take my own life, um, I actually convinced myself that that would be a benefit for all the people that I had hurt all the people I had taken advantage of. Uh, my mom wouldn't have to worry about me anymore. My sister wouldn't have to be ashamed of her brother being a homeless dude. Um, all of those things. And so I attempted to uh, drown myself in the Pacific Ocean and was not successful in that attempt, clearly. Hence the reason I'm here on the plane with you today, Jude. <laughs> right, right. Uh, and... Uh, When I came out on the other side of that, uh, uh, as I was washed up on the beach, there was a moment, call it, uh, call it God, call it intuition, call it your conscious, whatever you want to call it. But there was just a moment where I heard the words of a mentor of mine that I had had uh, when I was in the car business in my early 20s. And Jason Kitts was his name. And he used to always say to me, Glenn, you take yourself wherever you go. Mm. And so those Mm -hmm. words popped into my head and I finally realized what they meant. Because as I looked at my situation, I realized that the cities I'd lived in had changed. The jobs that I had 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 changed. My friend circles had changed. All of those things were different, but the result continued to be the same. And the only constant was me. I was there every time I went, got thrown in jail. I was there every time I got Uh high or drunk or got Uh sick. I was there every time, you know, I got in a fight. Like I was there. I was the only constant. And that's what Jason meant when he said, you take yourself wherever you go is you have to realize that you are ultimately the catalyst for all things in your life. And so when that hit me, the enormity of that, like, oh, wait a minute, I'm the catalyst. You mean I created all of this? Because I was blaming everybody else, dude. It was everybody else's fault. It wasn't my fault. It was because I was black. It was because I was this. It was because I was that. I was always blaming somebody else. And it finally hit me like, no, 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 dude, you're the catalyst. And so being an inquisitive and curious person, once I realized I was the catalyst for all things bad in my life, it rose the question If I'm the catalyst for all things bad, does that mean that I can be the catalyst for all things good? Mm. And so I started a journey of self-discovery. I started to read books and listen to speakers and uh, really dive in and try to understand who I was. And in order to find my identity, I ultimately had to, I had to research my family tree, I had to figure out where I came from. And so I studied Scientology for six months. Um, I read this book called Dianetics that was, it helped me understand the the conscious mind and the subconscious mind. Um, I started listening to the Les Browns and the Eric Thomases and the Jim Rohns and the John Maxwells and the Tony Robbinses and all of those things and just started really trying to figure out my identity 
I, I started uh, studying different religions, Buddhism, Catholicism, um, just really trying to figure out who I was and where I came from. And ultimately for me, uh, I found a path to what I call the, a 3D life. So before I was living 2D, mind and body. And ultimately I found the path to a 3D life, which is mind, body, and spirit. And I found that path through studying Jesus and, and, and the Bible and Christianity. Uh, I ultimately was opened up to this idea that we are not just sticks and stones and, and, and mud and bones, but that there's a spiritual element to self. And as I started to discover that, I've been able to shift the trajectory uh, moving forward. Yeah, you were you were among the blessed. I mean, many people have you know, revelations and and they don't take what you did, Glenn, was that, I mean, obviously self-reflection, but also you would hit that bottom, as they say. You know, people say you have to get to the, to the bottom before you can get to the top when you're going through a lot of crisis, personal crisis. So I, I want to ask you one question, and then I want to wrap up with the, with the children and childhood part because there's many other questions. But you found Glenn Lundy and your children now, what do you think, these eight children, what do you think that life is like with you as their dad, the dad you are today? I think I'm a pretty good dad. <laughs> my dad, I think that my dad rolls over in his grave when he watches the way I parent my children because <laughs> they talk to me in ways that I would never, ever, ever have talked to my dad. So I know that he rolls over in his grave. We say that as a joke often. Um, yeah, I, but I sometimes some that, of our worst lessons in life are our best lessons. You know, maybe if you hadn't been through that with your dad, you might not be the extraordinary guy you are today. Have you, I mean, does that ever thought ever come in? Yeah, I agree 100% because I won't. Um, there's things that I won't do, and I will not allow my children to be made to feel the way that my dad made me feel. Mm. He mm. made me feel, um, it almost goes back to, it's not invisible because we were definitely seen. Uh, he, he made sure that we were in front of him for every action. He was involved with everything that we did, including going to the bathroom. Um, but, so it's not quite invisible, but he, he made us feel inferior and insignificant. So now you turned your life around and, and you, you, you got into, you'd been into the automotive business and you were, were you in sales? Because I can see you as a salesperson. Were you in sales in the automotive business? Because that was very good for you. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I, I was busy. I started in sales, but in, in the auto industry, I worked my way into leadership positions uh, both times. So I had two seasons in auto. I was in for eight years before I was homeless and then, now I've been in, in the auto industry, I guess, uh, another 13 years um, over, over on this side. But I've gone from sales and then sales management and finance and general sales manager and ultimately became the general manager at the second largest used car franchise dealership in the country. And now, so, and then now, from what I understand, do you do consulting for the automotive industry? Is that part of your work today or what is your work today? Yeah, so I work with owners and general managers of car dealerships all over the country. Uh, I work with them primarily virtually in group settings to help them grow and scale their, their volume, their profitability, employee retention, the overall culture in their dealerships. And, and I, I watched one of your speeches, Glenn, and because I, I see this in you, doesn't mean you see it in you or that it's even, well, who, who's to say what truth is when it's something like this, when others see something in us. But I watched one of your speeches in researching for this interview, and you you were given an opportunity through your success in the auto industry to do some financial work with your church, and and you said on that in that speech that you didn't see yourself as a minister. I don't know why, but I do see you as a minister. And can you talk to that? And and then this is a speech, everyone. I'm breaking the wall again here from our interview on the plane. And it can, you can pop in any time, Glenn. This can be a conversation as well if you have a question or anything or you want to elaborate more on something. But 
uh, in this speech, Glenn said that that he he said there's just not enough money in preaching, and so he didn't want to be a preacher. But I was thinking <laughs> when I heard that, Glenn, I thought you know there's a lot of mega churches out there, and there are a lot of mega millionaire preachers, so ministers. So uh, did, you, did that ever cross your mind seriously, or you just say no to that, or is that maybe something in the future, or what's your thought on that? <laughs> um, yes, that's what I always say. I always say there's not because I like money and I like I like making money and I like the impact that I can make with uh, with money and so I've always I've always kind of said that but I think really the root of that Jude is I am not a I'm not a religious person I'm a spiritual person and sometimes when you know religious can be it can box it can box people in and sometimes not 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 only box people in but keep people out and I think that's what scares me the most about the idea of like, of an actual, you know, like a church of leading a church. It scares me to think that the impact would be reduced um, due to either, you know, some type of just some type of uh, stereotypes or some types of uh, agendas. Like I don't like agendas. I'm not a fan of agendas whatsoever. And so I think that's really the root of it. On the surface, I'm just like, yeah, there's not enough money in that. But I think the reality is uh, I want to be able to be inclusive of all people and all religions and all belief systems and be able to impact them, motivate them, inspire them, and uh, ultimately educate them and, and hopefully uh, elevate their lives. Well, I just feel led to say this, and then we don't have to talk about it anymore, Glenn. But as we become friends and get to know each other, as all my friends, when I see something in them that they don't see, I'm relentless until they say, hey, Jude, I'm not going to do this. Or, hey, maybe you got a good idea. You're not the first, by the way, Jude. I've been I just told this, this many, many, many times. And, and then we don't have to talk about it anymore, okay? Uh, okay. But but I've told you once before that I'm, I'm going to preach, and I, I know that I am. And and so I don't know when, and I pray about it. And so, but just to, just to say this about the religion part of it, because I feel as you do, Glenn. So I was having a brunch with my minister uh, one day, and and I said, you know, I, I know I'm going to preach, and I'm not going to tell you how this came to me, Glenn, because then I'd be crying, and it'd be my session, so we're not doing that, okay? But so I told him <laughs> how it came to me, and, and I was crying, and he put his hand on my shoulder and said, yeah, Jude, you got the virus. And so, you know, then I went through Bethel Bible study, et cetera, so I learned more about the Bible. But the point that he was making is that he doesn't, I said, you know, I don't see myself going back to school to become a theologian at this time and really understand religion. He said, no, that's not where it's headed anymore. He said, the lay ministry is where it's headed. And so I just will put that thought there and then I'm not going to talk anymore about it today. Okay. <laughs> so, so, so the lay ministry, what is the lay ministry? Well, lay ministry means that it's not necessarily people that, that have graduated out of seminary, you know, to teach it's the lay ministry people that are, let me tell you another one. I don't know if you know who Lloyd Ogilvy is and Lloyd Ogilvy is, um, he was big church out here, Hollywood press. And then he became Ronald Reagan's, uh, chaplain when he was in the white house. And, so Lloyd, a couple of years ago, he was ill at the time, and he'd no longer been, been preaching regularly, but he was an interim preacher at our church. And I talked to him afterwards, and I told him the same story, that I see myself pre preaching but not going back to theolo you know, not going back to, not going into seminary. And he, he said, well, what's your, what's your work? And I said, well, I'm a, a motivational speaker, and I work with executives for influence. And he put both hands on my shoulder, Glenn, and he said, religion is not where it is today lay ministry is where it is now. If I were you, he said, I would focus on the good that you want to preach about and the motivation. And so I will just say that to you, Glenn, and then I won't say anything more about this, okay? One day I might bring it up again, but not today. <laughs> I, I, I love it. I love it. And I would love to continue that conversation for sure. Okay. So now you, you, so now you, 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 you launched Breakfast of Champions. Clubhouse came along. You had your rise and grind. Clubhouse came along. You launched it. You got a big club, big following. Where do you see Breakfast of Champions headed now? Well, thankfully, I've been able to partner up with uh, Sarah McCord and then, of course, the 80-plus uh, the mods like yourself that are uh, all pouring in and, and, and helping support uh, what we've got going on here. But I believe that Breakfast with Champions... Uh, if we fast forward 
down the road, Breakfast for Champions will be a, a household name uh, with global impact. The opportunity that we have to collaborate with such great, amazing minds and then the technology that we now have to be able to reach and access every dark corner of the globe uh, presents itself and, you know present it, it just presents a, something I never imagined nine months ago <laughs> like I've been doing morning shows for four years and trying to reach you know really there's a part of me that's trying to find that one person in the deepest darkest corner that is they feel invisible they feel inferior inferior they feel insignificant they feel like they don't have worth or value and i want to be able to reach out to them and i know i can't reach all seven billion people on the planet and i don't know which one we're supposed to reach and so now that we've been able to collaborate in this way and utilize the technology i truly believe that breakfast for champions will be a media uh, a global media empire that will impact millions and millions, if not billions, of people's lives around this planet. Well, it looks like you're, you're on your way, Glenn. So let me ask you this one question. Let's say we wake up tomorrow morning and we pick up the New York Times and the headline reads, Glenn Lundy, fill in the blank, Glenn. Glenn Lundy, fill in the blank. Oh my gosh. I don't know the answer to that. It would need to say Glenn Lundy and Glenn Lundy and the, you know, the Breakfast with Champions crew. Like I, I don't see a headline that's just Glenn Lundy by himself. I really, I really don't. It's a team sport. You know, it's a, it's a, it's a team game. Um, I would rather see a headline that said, you know, Breakfast with Champions uh, impacts people's lives all around the globe. Um, I, I don't know, Jude, that's a tough one for me. Uh, yeah, I, really, yeah. I, I really don't see the world as a solo sport, my world. Does that make sense? Right. No, it does. It does. And, I, and I'm just thinking about some of the, you know, some of the people that I've just done. I mean, like Elon Musk, the space, you know, we just watched, watched this launch again. And uh, Charles Lindbergh, I study a lot of biographies, you know, making those first early flights. And I just wondered what you, you know, the, what you what you thought. Um, because usually for, for most people, I'm going to ask you this, and we're going to open up at some point to our audience, too, to ask some questions, Glenn. At some point, there's always that big dream, you know, that, I mean, for me, it might be if I were to say, and I, and I totally agree with you, none of us do anything alone. We have our, our families and our, our children, our clients, our friends here on Clubhouse, friends in life. Uh, but, but it would be, you know, Jude Jaren eradicates child abuse, for instance. I mean, I, if I could do, if I could switch the world and make one thing happen, um, uh, it would just be that, you know, if I had that, that power. But so, the, so that's why I asked the question, but, but is sure, there something sure. for Glenn that, that we never talked about, you haven't talked about on Clubhouse? Is there a bigger dream for Glenn Lundy? Probably not one that I haven't talked about. Um, I'm pretty <clears throat> transparent with, you know, the motive, the motives. I think a headline would be cool if it said Glenn Lundy now hosts the number one most watched morning show in the world. That okay, be, there we go. That right. would be amazing. <laughs> uh, yeah. I do have a, a Johnny Carson dream. Um, I love what Johnny Carson was able to create uh, on that show, how anyone that stepped foot on that stage, their lives were transformed forevermore. And I want to be able to create a runway where people can land, amazing superhumans can land, and we can help launch their careers. We can help elevate them into the best versions of themselves that they can possibly be. And uh, Johnny really did that. So I study, I study a lot of Johnny, and I do have a big. I here's here Jude. Since I got you right here, the Tonight shows, uh, you know, all of those shows have always been at night, and it's always been news in the morning, right? Um, Good Morning America, those types of shows, they're, uh, they're, they're a little more feel good, but they're still news. And I think it's a plague around the planet that people are waking up to violence, politics, negativity, all of those things. I think it is an absolute plague on this planet. And so my dream and desire is to take that Tonight Show feel where it's laughter and joy and skits and funny and highlights and interviews 
but to take that model and bring it to the morning so that people can start their day with laughter and joy and motivation and education and inspiration. They can start their day that way. And if we, if I could do that, that is something I could hang my hat on and say, yeah, we created this space that completely changed the way people start their day across the planet. Well, you know, Glenn, you put it out there now in the universe, and I don't know how you feel about this, but I think that, and maybe you have before, I just haven't heard it. Sarah did tell me when we were doing our planning that you were really, you know, really wild about um, Johnny Carson. Idol was the word she used, and and I thank Sarah for that and for, for arranging this today to make this happen. So, Sarah, Sarah, thank you. And so that's that. But I, the reason I ask is that most of us have that that really big dream, you know, that's there, uh, creating a movement, whatever it might be, and and I, I and I'm just going to. And you probably know this, but I studied so much, Glenn, before I went after that audition uh, with Regis's producer and on their set at, at ABC out here. Um, they said, you know, when they said you're right for TV, and I went around knocking on doors, and I you was know, over at KCBS because I had clients on that show and uh, on their show, my PR clients. And I said, I want to be on television. And they looked at me and said, well, so do a million other people. And and I said, well, I know that, but but I'm going to be. And, and two months later, they gave me an audition, and so that's what launched. Uh, and so I really started studying everything because they told me, they said, don't try to be like anybody else. Don't, don't watch Barbara, Oprah, you know, don't just be you. Well, of course I watched everybody, Regis, Larry, Regis was a mentor. I met Larry along the way, watched everybody. And, and, and so I always said it was a little mixture of all of them and then a lot of, of Jude. So, uh, but, but I, I would say to you that, you know, you go back, if you go back in history, last night the Emmys were on and, and, um, they, they honored Larry King, and, and I was in tears, you know, 14 hours ago because Larry King was the first one they honored when they did Who We Lost in the Talents of this year. And and um, Larry was such a one-of-a-kind, and so was Regis, and so was Oprah, and so was Barbara. I mean, they're all one-of-a-kind, really. And so, I, I, but I, I encourage you about what you're saying about the feel-good TV, uh, but making a difference. I mean, the variety show, those early shows, the, the, uh, the Mike Douglas was one, and and Merv Griffin, and I studied some of those shows and, and watched this, and there was variety, and there was, but there wasn't the education motivational talk that part right. that you talked about. Right. So I can see where that would be a, a really big picture idea for you. And uh, and so now you've got it out in the universe, so you just never know who's listening, who's happening. And and as I said to you before, sometimes we see that we're on fire with the desire, but other times people see it in us. And so I want to take, if it's okay with you, Glenn, we're going to, we're going to take this out of our airplane and right here in Clubhouse, we're going to break our fourth wall and take some Q&A. And one of the first persons who said they had a, a question was um, Fred. Uh, Frederick is here, and he's, he, Frederick, if you all don't know Frederick Penny, you're about to. Glenn, is that okay? We take some Q&A right now from our group here? Totally. Of course. Of course, you. Thank you for this uh, space. Uh, I really appreciate it. Well, I'm going to come back and say goodbye to you. You're very welcome. And I've enjoyed this interview and learning about you and the research too. Frederick, can you please ask our first question? Sure. Thank you. Hey, Glenn, great share. Appreciate the, some of the things that you're throwing out. And, and one thing resonated with me to the 10th degree, and that is about your children. Let me tell you a, a brief story really quick. Uh, 35 years in business as a lawyer, very busy uh, practice and businesses and uh, put my kids out on a country farm uh, out in Northern California. My wife's from Palo Alto, city girl, and didn't know why I wanted to put them out in the country. And the reason is I grew up on a small little, you know, 10 acre parcel. My dad taught me to work hard. And I remember as I was building my law practice and doing really well, I would leave and go out and make my kids, my, especially my boys, uh, there's another thing about my girls. I spoil my girls more than my boys. They would build fences with me. I would build fences. I would put pasture in. I would, I would put sprinkling system in. They'd help me with the cattle and the, and the animals. And the reason I did that, and my friends and, and colleagues would say, Fred, you're losing thousands of dollars doing that. And it's absolutely true. I was losing a substantial amount of money taking the time to go out there and build uh, this relationship with my boys. But I always said, and this is the most important thing is, I'm building boys, I'm not building you know, empires. And to this day, just so you know, Glenn, my boys, they're lawyers, they're, they're successful, they're family men uh, and, and great pillars of society, and of course, they're my boys. And so what I'm gonna throw out to you is I love that you're in the country. Are you gonna make your kids work out on the farm? Yes, absolutely, man, absolutely. So we have, um, 
we we have a big garden out there. We also have a few ducks. We're getting ready to add some chickens, and uh, the 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 kids work the work the land. They work the land, especially like you said, my son, uh, my my son Joel. If you ask him, and he has said this for three years now, if you ask him what he wants to be when he grows up, he'll tell you two things. He wants to be a farmer, and he wants to be a preacher. <laughs> those are uh-huh. the two I'm going to get a preacher out of those Sundays yet. Okay. <laughs> That's awesome. That's great. Yeah, man. And uh, But, yeah, they work it. Uh, they, 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 they work the land, and we're going to continue to build build out on that as much as we can. We're actually thinking about buying some land right next door and get some cows or whatnot. Uh, so, yeah, I'm with you, Frederick. It, it builds uh, character. And I love, you know, to be honest with you, in this season, we moved into this house just before uh, the pandemic. And with my kids being homeschooled and them having 10 acres to to, to run and, and grow and all of that stuff, you know, it's been such a gift because they haven't really been super impacted by by all of the things, you know, they were used to staying home for school and they were used to going outside and playing. And, and, and so that's, that's what they do. And, and it's, it's been a gift. So I love that Frederick, love that share. I love that plane right there too, buddy. When, when, when am I riding in that thing with you? Uh, I'm going to be flying over you uh, on Saturday, but I don't think I'm landing in Kentucky. I'm landing in Nebraska and Kansas. So close by, but we'll, we'll get together. All right, yeah, Frederick, I, Glenn, I've been on that plane with Frederick and I must tell you, I, it was the most wonderful experience, Frederick. As you know, I've I we've talked. It's it was the most wonderful experience, and and I will say I will to you, say- I could sh- I could sure get spoiled, Fred. That's all my little P.S. here. So thank you. Um, anyone else have a question for for Glenn? Because I do want to. I do have a couple more. I I this is Julie. I have a question. If that's okay. Yeah, of course, Julie. Go ahead, Julie. Well, first of all, I I I, I think that. God's timing is just so impeccable and just I'm, I'm thankful to have had a mic for this for this interview just for so many things today that have gone on in this room and Glenn your story just always resonates I feel so pulled in all the time there's just so many so many things that um, that I really um, have in common with you and and I I have to say do you feel like um all of the trials and all of the hardships and all of all of the things that you know god brought you through um almost kind of like tearing you down just to build you back up the things that that you that you just every aspect of your life you know your family your career your friends the fact that you're hearing today this this common theme of you know, God in our businesses, I, I never really thought of that. And when you were talking about, you know, studying all those people before you said that you had realized that there was a, a three, three level person, I, I don't know the exact framing. 3D. You used, yeah, 3D. Yeah, yeah. The, the 3D. Before you said that in my in my heart, I said, you know, all of this is spiritual. It's almost like when his mind went tapped into this, this next level of all of, all of the things from all of these great peer, people at that moment, I thought, boy, that's, that's just such a spiritual thing. And then you said it was just so incredible. So I guess I, I want to give you feedback, number one, but number two, I just, I re- really would love to hear your thoughts on, you know, how you attribute everything you went through to, to the man that you've become now, because you are changing lives. Like you, you, you are already doing those things. I, mine is one of them. And, and um, you, you make me want to be a better person. You make me want to reach higher. And um, you you give me hope also. Everyone in this room that speaks, even, even today. Um, anyway, I could go on and on, but I won't. I, I'm done speaking. Thanks, Julie. Julie, you're super, super kind. I really appreciate um, those words. And I appreciate you sharing this space with us, right? There's a trillion places that you could choose to be. And you chose to be here with us. And that means the world to me. Uh, I wouldn't wish what I went through on anyone uh, on on this planet, um, but what I have learned is what I have learned is that we can take our experiences that we have in life and we can choose to allow them to uh, hold us back, or we can choose to allow them to elevate us. We can grow from them, right? 
when I was running my dealership, one of the things we used to tell the guys all the time is there's only two types of days. There's good days and there's character building days, right? There are no bad days, good days and character building days. And so a lot of the things that I went through ultimately were character building. And now looking back, they give me a, a, a certain perspective and an opportunity to connect. I can connect with people who have been homeless. I can connect with people who uh, had drinking problems or were drug users. I can connect with people of different ethnicities. I can connect with people who like to move a lot. I can connect with people who like to live on a farm, right? I can connect with uh, lots of different people through those experiences. But with that said, I wouldn't wish them um, on anyone. And as far as like from a spiritual level, I don't, I don't, I don't know. I don't know this. You know, I don't know if it was God's plan for me to go through those things because I think it's all choices that we make in, in, in life. Um, but I do know that on the backside of those choices, my belief system is that God can take anything and ultimately turn it for his good and, and to glorify who he is. And so that's my experience. And I hope that answers your question. Thank you, Glenn. You know, you have uh, done so much work yourself on yourself work through so many, so many issues. Why do you think, and this is, this, this may be a question without an answer because I've asked this of a lot of people. Why do you think some people get so low, if you will, meaning that just so down and out, so to speak, I mean, homeless, drugs, suicidal, and then they, they, they just can't quite grasp what it is to turn their lives around the way you did, what do you, you know, the message that you want to deliver on stage or on these shows, what do you think is that, that, that one missing part that keeps some people back and they just don't make that switch? Responsibility. Taking personal responsibility, I think is the hardest thing for anyone to do, right? Like I see, I see it in my kids. You can, you can catch the kids holding the bag of candy behind their back that they know they weren't supposed to have and they will immediately point to someone else well meredith said i could or joel had a piece of candy mm -hmm. right that personal accountability and responsibility i think is the biggest differentiator it is so much easier to point fingers of blame than it is to look in the mirror and so i think that many People regretfully, whether it was given to them, passed down to them, handed down through their culture, through their environment, through their parents, through their neighborhoods, whatever. I think many people actually believe that they are victims in this in this world. Uh, and as long as you have a mindset of a victim, you will continue to get victimized. Uh, you will you will you will self destruct as long as you have the mindset of a victim. And so. I shifted from victim to victor. I know that there are things that happen in life that are outside of our control. Totally 100% understand that. I'm not saying that everything is your fault, but what I am saying is when things happen in your life, if you take responsibility for them, even though they might not be your fault, if you take responsibility, it puts you in a position of power versus a position of uh, being a you know being a victim and that position of power is what it takes to ultimately fight through and create the new habits and the new disciplines that are required to get to that next level so i think it's personal responsibility for the for the situation you're in that keeps people from growing jude yeah you mentioned uh some people along the way who've helped you become who you are and, and remain who you are and grow into who you will continue to grow into who's the most interesting person you've met in the last 90 days. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I hey, wasn't Glenn, expecting Glenn, you to this throw is the Rita. Last 90 days. This is Rita. You met me in the last 90 days, Glenn. I'm just letting you know that. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so in the last 90 days. Yeah. Jude, that puts me in a very very difficult position. Um All right. All right. Hold on. Hold on. The most interesting <laughs> person I've met in the last, I've met so many. Okay. You got to come back to me. I've I'm like, Sarah's new to my life. I have so many new people in my life right now. Pardon? 
I have so many new people in my life right now. It's hard to sort. Because I brought like a hundred people with me. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> so many, and they're all interesting in no, their own No, you know what? I, I'm going I'm to tell you this. This is not my question. And, and I'll tell you where I got it, everybody. I told you I study a lot of biographies, and, and I watch people. And I had the opportunity about, I don't know, eight years ago to, uh, to hear Fred Smith speak. And he is the, uh, he's the founder of FedEx. And, and he and Tom Peters are friends and leadership guru. And Fred said that whenever they talk to each other, they say, who's the most interesting person you've met in the last 90 days? And then they have a conversation about that. And I always love that question. And I thought, I'm going to incorporate that because it is a good question. And I asked myself that, by the way. And uh, I was on a, a coaching call this morning before, the, before our call, Glenn. And uh, I brought that up and I thought, boy, when I, I, I've just been in, I'm not even going to say his name here because it's kind of confidential right now, but I'm in touch with someone very, I mean, I meet a lot of people like you do, Glenn, but, but his way of thinking is so different than mine on such a different plane that it just, it's just fascinating to me. And uh, so I just wanted to put that out there because I know you've talked about people, um, El Delgado for one, I know you've known her longer than 90 days, but, but people who, so we'll just, we'll wrap this up with the last question. Who are some of the most influential people you've met who have shaped, helped shape Glenn Lundy and helped Glenn Lundy stay on track? Yeah, there's three of those. That's a little bit easier for me to answer. <laughs> okay. Uh, the, the last 90 days has been uh, crazy. So many interesting people, a lot of them in this room right now. Um, a guy named Josh Cummins who gave me the opportunity to work at Dan Cummins Chevrolet in Buick in Paris, Kentucky, uh, who believed in me from the very beginning and gave me every opportunity to create the resume and the platform that I now stand on and I've been able to build my business through. Uh, he's also just a great, just a, he, he mentored me personally and taught me what it looked like to be a good husband, what it looked like to be a good father, uh, incredible human. Uh, then you would go to Danelle Delgado. Uh, she's really poured into me and helped me. The biggest thing that I learned from Danelle is that we can create a business around our life. We do not have to create a life around our business. And that was a huge mindset shift for me, especially coming from the automotive world. Um, and so that was huge. And then, um, you know, the, the, the third most influential person in my life has been uh, Jesus by far. Uh, the more I study his walk and get an understanding of the mission uh, and ultimately the impact that he's been able to have 2,000 years later on this, on this earth uh, prior to technology, prior to social media, prior to all of those things um, in just the way that, the way that he walked, uh, I, I, I study him every day and, and try to learn uh, how I can apply the strategies that he used over 2000 years ago uh, to reach people around the planet and ultimately help them to see that they are valued, they do have worth uh, and that, they, uh, that they're loved. So it would be those three. Glenn, this is a perfect place. We'll end with, we'll end with Jesus as the most influential person in your life. And I, I know we've run a minute or so over, and, and uh, Alexander will close us out. I think he's still with us. Glenn, I want to say this has been really insightful and delightful. Dude, it's been an absolute treat for me. And before I let you go, I have to know. So so have, have you met John? Did you meet Johnny Carson? I you did. Know? I did. And, and it, I didn't interview him. I interviewed Ed McMahon. So I was over and I saw The Tonight Show a few times in person when Johnny was, was host. You know, it's interesting, Glenn, because unlike you, Johnny Carson offstage was very shy. And, and you would never know that watching him. Uh, and we watched him and, and he was, he was the, the absolute best, yes, comedic, but he was the best at milking a scene of anyone I've ever met or watched. But in person, I mean, he was polite, nice, but very shy. I mean, in other words, this wasn't small talk or, or meeting new people off, off camera. He was not the Johnny Carson we saw on camera. Very interesting. Very, very, very interesting. Yeah, whereas Larry King and Regis and some of these people, they're exactly the same. 
and they hmm. all had they all had long you know i call star power staying power and look at how long they were on air you know so it's it's interesting glenn um but johnny carson there's and someday when we talk i don't want to take up any more time because we're going to be in someone else's segment but i want to tell you about one of my friends who i interviewed she was client first and then became a, a friend and she and johnny were very very close and she shared some things with me that I just maybe would like to share with you when you have time sometime. We'll do that, okay? But I don't want to take everybody's time right now. Yeah, that would be phenomenal, Jude. I would greatly appreciate that. Well, I appreciated this interview, getting to know you, Glenn. And this, as they say, is a wrap. And I really, this was just a, a great hour to be with you. Thank you, Jude. It's absolutely my pleasure. I appreciate you creating this space for real. It's been awesome. It's thank been you, honor. Thank it you, took too long you. to bring it to fruition. I apologize for that. <laughs> well, but but darling, we did it, and that's what matters. So uh, that's <laughs> worth, right. Worth that's the wait, right. right? I mean, timing. Okay, so it's all working. Anyway, great to be with you, Sarah. Thank you for your help, Alexander. Are you going to close this out? Are you, are you, oh yes, he's still on stage. Thank you so much. Uh, great, Glenn. We'll talk later. Okay. Take care. Thank you, Sarah. Back to you from Jude. Yes. Ladies and gentlemen, you've just listened to an awesome interview by Miss Jude Jernad interviewing the Glenn Lundy. You Thank you for joining us on Breakfast with Champions. If you want to catch the live version, you can follow us on Clubhouse and listen from 5 a.m. to 11 a.m. Eastern Time, Monday through Friday, Saturday 6 to noon, and Sundays with our 111 Sunday service. Make sure you're keeping up with Breakfast with Champions and getting yourself a seat at the table.